From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Five o'clock hours here, Cofield and Company. Cofield Ari Adam Hill is the company today. Make sure you check out Adam's latest story at LVRJ.com. You followed up what happened to DeMar Hamlin and the response, great response, by EMTs and medical personnel at the game last night by taking a look at what they've got going on in situations like this to be ready for something at Allegiant, right? Yeah, it's, it's something I... You know, I, I went on a tour like a month and a half ago and went through everything that they do, all the procedures that they have, and um, really it was just educational and informative and didn't really write anything about it, just more uh, from my own knowledge and, you know, had some, you know, conversations with some of the medical staff and, and personnel uh, that are involved with the Raiders. And then when this happened, it became a perfect time to kind of share that a little bit and what what they all go through is pretty illuminating in terms of all the staff that's there, 30 Medical staff, including two internal uh, medicine doctors, uh, orthopedic doctors, all the other things that are in place. There's a dentist, there's an eye doctor, all those things are there. Um, There's a visiting team liaison who, as soon as they come to town, is with them to tell them closest hospital, what the best route is. They go through all those things. There's a meeting an hour before the game on the the field where everybody just goes over it because the plans are in place, but it's like, okay. Um, What I was told by the doctor is... When we do surgery in the, in the hospital, same thing. Everybody knows what to do, but before you actually go into the surgery, everybody kind of gathers like a huddle. Here's this. Here's this. We're on the same page communication-wise, all that. Um, the plans are are down to, hey, what is the closest pharmacy to Allegiant Stadium if there's a medication that we need that we're out of? And who do we call at that pharmacy? Who, what's their cell phone number? That's, that sort of thing. Everything is accounted for. Everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, is accounted for in those in those planning meetings and and everything that they uh, go through. So it's it's it, you know pretty eye opening and illuminating. Um, but yeah, I, you know I've been told there's pretty much no no hospital that's better equipped than a stadium is on game day, and there's no um, no place that you'd be more likely to have a positive outcome in a tragic situation than at a NFL stadium on a game day. So the NFL is prepared for situations like this. And we saw it play out last night. Yeah, sad that it had to play out, but at that moment they saved his life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, latest update: um, one of Hamlin's uncles was just speaking to multiple media outlets. Was just on ESPN, so saying his breathing's improved. So that's a good thing, but still in critical condition. Last night was an amazing study in where we are. I think as a country, and not everyone's up on social media, and not everything on social media is genuine. There's a lot of, um, you know, grifting action and profiteering. But man, people let out whatever they needed to let out, and there was a lot of anger. I said earlier, I think there was a lot of guilt by people. It seemed like there were a lot of people who were like, "Man, I appreciate football and what these guys go through," which I wish they had finished by saying, "I didn't before tonight," or "I'd lost sight of that." Was that the vibe you got? A little bit, okay. And I, I just think people weren't people weren't ready to process it, and I think that led to a lot of things that were tweeted and said, and you know, some people that just said something to say something. Which I think I, there's I a lot of people who say something because they feel like they need to say something. Which 
I didn't tweet last night. I don't need to say anything. Yeah. And I, 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 I know who I am and I know how I felt. Um, I was sitting there watching it and, you know, it's devastating. Uh, you and I talked about having experience with like, with this before, stuff like this before, covering sports, covering football, understanding that it's life and death. We both cover a lot of fighting over the years. You understand that every time someone goes into a ring or a cage, something like this could happen. Um, you had told the story earlier about when you were in high school, you had a, a teammate collapse on the field and was in a coma for two months. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had mentioned, I don't even know if I told the story on the air, um, I had, uh, when I was like 11 or 12, I had a soccer coach just fall flat on his face, heart attack, like within 10 feet of me. Just, uh, it's, now, that's, that was not in-game related, right? But he actually, he did pass away. And I, you know, I was thinking last night. I'm like, I don't. I probably had talks about this at like 11 with my parents. I might not have. I have no. Seriously, knowing your family, I doubt there was a conversation. Eh, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know. I actually, I got to make a call on that and see if they even remember that. Um, but you know, ev- everyone's got different life experiences with disaster and tragedy around them. So I think everyone reacted uh, differently. There were different camps out there, and. For me, I, sometimes I think social media can be a, you know, a bit cathartic. I, there's a lot of times people are just, they just start spewing and you're like, you, you just put down your phone. If you don't have anyone around you, you can speak to maybe self-reflect a little bit, do a little bit of reading, just cap the emotions a little bit. Cause last night got, it got pretty wild. And then people are, you know, yelling at each other, you know, virtually. Yeah. Just got very, got very uncivil. In a lot of ways. And then you look for, then you're angry because of what you just watched. And maybe the anger's from this whole thing of, you know, uh, hey, I watch football and, you know, I, I speak badly about the players and call them cowards at times. And now I feel bad about it. So who can I, Skip Bayless, let me get him. And that, that, that got super crazy. But I, I, again, I'm not here to, you know, sit here and lecture people. I saw, uh, saw Laura Oakman, who I think, I don't, I, I know I saw her on the sideline. She might have been, she might have been covering the Raiders game. The Raiders. Yeah. So yeah. she tweeted out, uh, the lack of empathy has always been appalling. Rooting for people to lose jobs as if it's a sport. Refusing to see these men as human beings. This isn't entertainment. You have no place in the emotions and true discussions that need to take place today. So I'm not going to sit here and finger wag. If people want to lecture. All, all I'll say is I hope everyone gained an appreciation for what goes on in the field. While it is entertainment, I don't agree with her. Um, it's entertainment very much on a dangerous line. So if we could all cut the crap with the coward this or you know puss that or they quit, it's enough. But you know this is the this last week or so you know you got people name calling coaches because they didn't make the right decision in college and you know Ryan Day is a, a coward or you know Russell Wilson is this this and this and it's like dial it down a little bit, dial it down. What these guys do is cool. Uh, they make a lot of money for it. You know they get some glory and glamour out of it, but they are risking. Life and limb when they go out there. And you saw last night how how bad it can get. It was a super scary situation. Really scary. And not that, that's, not that it's the most important part of what you just said, but also not all of them make a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. There are guys that, you know, are trying to still catch on, like fighting on a, for a practice squad spot to just make the roster one day. Like those, those sorts of things. Like those guys are We've also going out there. We've been talking to XFL and, guys every week who are going to be playing with the Vipers. And, yeah. you know, some of these guys are 27 to 33 years old. They may never make it. And they're they're taking the risk. Yeah. They love playing. 
Yeah. Maybe they can make that big money at some point. Yeah. And then, I mean, also high school players and college players and um, in all sports. It's it's a jarring reminder for sure, um, but something you should know and you should understand. And it, it shouldn't yeah. have to. You shouldn't have to need. You shouldn't need to have a reminder. And then you come across people who uh, either well they deal with their grief or shock by just going the horse's ass route. Uh, we were at a bar last night. The SO and I were hanging out watching the game and uh, keeping an eye on VGK. I was trying not to watch a certain college basketball game, which we'll hit later on. Um, and immediately the bartender mentioned something about vaccinations. Like, of course. Okay. Then, then I hear the guy who's doing prizes, and he's like, uh, the game's in a delay right now. They're waiting to find out if the player is dead. I'm like, okay, let's All right. okay, put that on the microphone. Doesn't seem necessary. No. I mean, the, the vaccine thing is oh, it's, it's, bizarre. It's out uh, there. Some, it's well, out there. It's on social media, so you choose and, to do with that right. what you want. And, and then somebody sent a thing like just another in this long line of recent athlete deaths on the field and showed like a, a montage that included – Chris Pronger, which, what? That included like the, um, the John, John McSherry. Pronger was nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, uh, included Hank Gathers, and I'm like, first of all, <laughs> some of these videos look so old and grainy. Yeah, they're clearly not recent. Like, what are you talking about? And then, uh, then of course, but of course, people follow up. Yep, knew it, knew it, knew it. Like, okay. No, what? It's just it's it's bizarre, it's bizarre. But people people also want to use anything that they can see to just fit their own narrative, no matter what it is. With the Raiders, when do you guys think you're going to be speaking to Derek Carr? Who's going to get him? Uh, I know Vinny at the paper's got a really tight relationship with him. I would assume something comes out. Right. You think, do you think Carr lay lo- lays low for the next couple of weeks? He he just kind of uses David Carr to send out the message. I would is, he imagine, gonna, is, is he going to speak before the end of the season? I would imagine he does a sit down with a, somebody who's going to really grill him like uh, David. Okay. Or I know that there's a, there's a family run a sports blog out there. Yeah, you mentioned that last week. What is it? Yeah, uh, Harvester Sports. Oh, that's the one that David Carr mentioned at the be- like early on this weekend that he was going to be doing something with Harvester Sports. Well, Harvester, it's run by his son. Oh, okay. Who I think is in high school. Okay. And they've broken some uh, Derek Carr news in the past. Um, I imagine they're doing a podcast uh, that's supposed to drop today or tomorrow. Okay. Uh, although I would imagine maybe they don't do it because, you know, every, I don't think there's the appetite for Derek Carr av- airing of grievances right now. Right. In the NFL world. So they might not put it out, but hopefully not. I would imagine that. Take your time. I would imagine he does either sit down with them or maybe goes on one of the, like, you know, pregame shows. Definitely somewhere where they're not going to really push back. How about this piece of advice? Don't air your grievances. Probably smart. Is that a concept? Don't. How about make sure you land somewhere that's a match, which I think is a big concern, and they better listen to people and get some advice on this. And if you want to talk about the Raiders, you talk about them down the road. Or is the goal all me, me, me? Which means, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to land where I want to land. F the Raiders. If they don't get any kind of haul back for me, too bad. This is what they deserve. I, I actually I don't think a trade is even an option. So I think he will be able to go where he wants to go. Now, Why I, don't I, you think I a think trade is an option? What's the number one reason? 
the timing for one. Like Explain you, that because there's there's some weird timelines on this where yeah. decisions have to be made but really can't. So a roster bonus kicks in. A guaranteed roster bonus kicks in. Not a roster bonus. A guaranteed contract for next season kicks in three days after the Super Bowl. The league year doesn't begin until a month and a week later, like five weeks later. So the Raiders would have to agree to a trade by the time it's three days after the Super Bowl and have a team agree and say, yeah, we, we're going to make the trade, pick up that guarantee, and we promise you in five weeks we'll still go through with this trade because you can't officially make the trade. A team could just say, now we're out. And now you're stuck with a guaranteed contract that you probably can't trade. So that's a real tough spot. Now, could the Raiders go to Derek Carr and say, hey, extend that deadline. Like, give us the, the first day of the league year so we can actually make the trade when that happens. They could do that. They could renegotiate that. Will Derek Carr's side do that? Now, I would say they should. I've heard a lot of people outside saying, no way that Derek Carr should help the team. I don't think he's helping the team. I think he's helping himself. So the ask from Derek Carr to move the date back would be what? Like two years guaranteed? Like rework a contract to that point? And no. then And then essentially you're trading. There's a contract in place for the next team? Well, the, the contract would already be in place. Because okay. you would say, give us the day for March. And then whoever trades for him would have to pick up that guaranteed contract for $40, $40 million. For one year. For that next year. I think it's for two years. Well, there's a, oh, you're like right. a the half, third year is seven a and a half. Guarantee. Yeah. So it'd be at least a one-year guarantee. Hmm. And so somebody would have to pick that up. So I think Derek Carr should do that because I don't think he's getting $40 million. Now, other other people have said, screw, don't, don't help the Raiders. Don't extend the deadline. Make them cut you and go wherever you want. That's fine. Are you getting forty million? I don't think so. But if you think the market's out there to get forty million, then I guess you would do that. Are you going to a good team at forty million? That's the other question. Probably not. Like your legacy's on the line. You know, part of this is people are branding you a losing quarterback. You want to go to the best situation. And if money is going to block that, I mean, how much money does he need? It's not my business to manage his money, but what's more important? Squeezing every ounce out of the next couple of years money-wise or making sure you go to a really good situation where you can win? Fair question. So, I mean, I, yes, he has a no trade, so we can control where he goes. But, again, that 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 month is going to be really, really awkward and weird for a lot of people. So I have to imagine either they negotiate a way to extend that date or they just cut him. Give me some more David Carr on NFL Network. He went on. They played music under him. He was very emotional, kind of all over the place, but uh, made some interesting points. Every year, yeah, I've talked about Derek. Oh, he's going to be replaced. Oh, someone's going to bring him in, right? They got to trade. They got to do this. They got to do that. All he did was go out and be the all-time leading passer in the history of the Raiders. So when I look at this, all right, it wasn't Derek that changed, right? It was the Raiders that changed. Derek has not changed. But I think other people around him have changed, and they've seen maybe a little more of what Derek is and what Camp Carr is. And it's a lot of it's result-based. At some point, you need to split and money is a gigantic part of it, which I still cannot believe at the beginning of the week last week how personal everyone took this. Not everyone. Lots of people took it, not realizing the guaranteed money. Oh, yeah. Like, if he goes out there, he gets hurt, they're locked in. And everyone should have known, once they set this up as a one-year deal, they were not locked in, and they don't want to be locked in. That conversation about him being retired or a Raider is no longer an option. He's playing football again, right? So he's reinvigorated. He's excited to go out. So the Raiders are going to seek a trade. They're going to bring trades, which Derek has a no-trade clause, and they're going to listen. And he's going to look for teams that have a stable situation between their head coach and their ownership, right? Stable. Okay. So there's a little swipe, I think. Are the Raiders not stable? 
I think they're the most stable they've been in a long time. I would think so, too. The owner, in conjunction with his new management team, just made a decision. The owner previously wanted a different quarterback. The management team didn't agree. That would be instability. The previous management team and what they drafted around Derek Carr on both sides of the ball, that is the definition of instability. Throwing the dice on Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs and others, that's unstable. And by the way, when you start looking at the list of teams, generally teams that need a quarterback might have some stability issues. Are the Colts stable? Ursay to start? Jeff Saturday? There's no stability there. Commanders could be on the list. Are are they stable? Daniel Snyder and a coach that doesn't know what it takes to get in the playoffs? Are the Jets really stable? Well, they're more stable than maybe they have been. Okay. Like, a lot of the teams he may have to go to or look at, I mean, I'll actually stand up for the Raiders in this case. At least these guys are a unified front and going in one direction. You may not like the direction, but I don't know that the Raiders are unstable at this point. Lions? Seahawks? Seahawks are pretty stable. I mean, I, I'm saying I think those are yeah. possibilities where you could end up going. But the, but you're right. I mean, if you're looking for a quarterback, especially if you're looking for a veteran quarterback and try to take a you know give somebody a second chance, it's probably not a place that you would consider stable. Tampa, Green Bay, maybe. He's also going to be looking for a team that is also looking for a quarterback that has a reputation for game-winning drives and fourth-quarter comebacks. I'm excited. Maybe he's the missing piece for someone. We'll see what happens. I'm excited for my brother's future. I'm a little upset, all right? So that happens. It all happens. right, big bro. I had to vent a little bit. Yeah. I had to vent a little bit. That's all. I like it. This is what it's for. Well it's, it's a safe space. It's a safe David. space. We can say what we want here. Right? Wow. David Carr talking about a safe space to have discussions about Derek Carr. Oh, boy. I'm looking. The only, a, by the way, social media ain't the safe space. We know that. No, I don't. But you know, others, others have been shut down by Camp Car. The only thing I really want to see is him go to a team that is playing at Allegiant Stadium next year. Jets would fit that. Yeah. You know, I do not want that. You don't like. You don't want him. We've already been through this. Patriots probably aren't right. an option. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think he could work in New England because they have such a dominant personality as a coach, but. Him in front of a microphone in, if these were all options in uh, New England, New York, Philly, or Washington, it's just, it's not, that ain't it. You know it's not it. Vikings? I think they got Cousins. Right? Colts. I think the Colts are here. No, they're not. That sucks. Well, essentially the odds. These are guesses. No, I'm I'm just going off teams that are playing here. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I lost my focus. No, I'm just just go, I'm just going down the 2023 opponents and who's coming into Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, the betting odds though: Colts plus 275, Jets 400, Tennessee five to one, Patriots eight to one, Commanders plus 850, Bucks nine to one, Panthers nine to one, Giants ten to one, Saints ten to one. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Studio
Well, we mentioned earlier uh, in the show that it's a busy night in the Mountain West for uh, men's basketball. San Jose State, one of the surprise stories of the conference playing tonight. New Mexico also playing there on the road at Fresno. New Mexico, the only unbeaten team left in the country. Top 25 in the rankings. Things have uh, backslid a bit for the running Rebels. The loss at San Jose State, surprising. The loss against San Diego State, boy, I feel like I've been here when I was sitting at the arena, hmm. like 20 times in recent years, watching the same game. <laughs> now, the numbers actually say San Diego State is 19-2 and two against UNLV since 2013. Like, it's, it's almost impossible to believe. But when you watch the games, you're like, Yep, that's it. They're almost the same games every time, unless San Diego State really steps on the gas pedal in the first half. Generally, they're pretty decent games that UNLV has a shot until about eight minutes sometimes. Like last year, they were down four with 554 left. And this time, they got it down to seven, ball in hand. Could have cut it to four inside of ten minutes. But the way the game plays out is almost identical every time they play. It's the same San Diego State team from a uh, you know roster the way it's built. I think this team has a little more offensive talent than the average San Diego State team, but they're usually gigantic. They rebound well. Their defense is great, and especially if you don't play patient offense. And that's exactly how the game on Saturday played out. UNLV got loose on defense and gave up about six buckets. At least two or three were on inbounds which is inexcusable, and then two or three other really easy trips. And, you know, you give San Diego State 12, 13 points like that, you're screwed. And then second half, when you're trying to come back, when you try to drive through their defense or throw the ball through their defense, the result is basically going to be the same as it's been 19 of the last 21 meetings. Huh. Yeah. It's I crazy, mean, right? Yeah. it's it, it seems like deja vu, as you kind of mentioned there, and – um, we, we talked about this with a team that is built so heavily on the defensive side of the ball. It's hard to play 110% defensively focused and aggressive. And you know, they forced 20 turnovers. That was, that was great. Right. Yep. But to do it every single possession, every single game for 40 minutes for an entire season is almost impossible. And then be at least average on offense and hold your own on the boards, which they weren't average on offense and they couldn't hold their own on the boards. Yeah. They got out to a 10-2 lead rebounding. And then from there, I think the final number was like 30, I don't know, I, I broke it down, whatever, 33-17 the rest of the way. Yeah, not good. And, but I will, I will say, um, I'm a big believer in, uh, in an analytic you know, metric called you know, shot quality. And UNLV won on the shot quality score. They did. Which would say that UNLV was getting better shots. When they, got, them. when they got shots. Weren't making them. Does that does that, that factor in lost shot opportunities with turnovers? Yeah. And okay. it, it most it's mostly about, you know, the shots that you get and that sort of thing. And it and it would it would measure like not to go too far into it, but I will to say like you have an open layup, a wide open layup on your own, that's like a one point nine eight score, because you know, you're gonna get you're gonna make it like ninety nine percent of the time. And if you have a contested three, it's like a one point you know, whatever, or a 0.8 shot 
shot score. So if it goes in, you're you're way overachieving. If it doesn't, like it's a whole thing. And they had two dunks go in and out. Right. So that you so know that, those, that's, those kill you. Those those are killers. And and those are measured in the shot quality score. So it'll tell you like, hey, you play the game a hundred times, you're probably gonna win more than you're gonna lose. But it's it, it is about actually scoring. Yeah. It, it, like the analytics don't count for wins and losses. It just tells you who was playing well, who wasn't. You would have actually played the game fairly well. Yeah. It just I don't think it's some I don't, went against them. These games over the years, I don't they're not hopeless going in. No. And they're not hopeless as it's unfolding. It just seems like at about seven or six minutes, San Diego State will make a couple of big shots, and that's what they did. Like the three difference, I thought I, I felt like the three the three made difference in the end was massive. It was only eleven to ten, but it was just more, much more efficient on the San Diego State side. And Matt Bradley, if people haven't seen the, you know, seen him play, he's not an efficient shooter, but he shot the freaking lights out. He takes terrible threes from time to time. Um, he's an emotional powder keg. He was a freaking lunatic throughout the game. Huh. Like you can see, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll talk about the positive: the fact that they have harnessed the best in him, in spite of the fact that he's so emotional. Like he's making shots, and then he's turning around. And Demarcus Cousins was at the game. He's like pointing to him, like <laughs> he got a flopping call, and then like could not be held back from the officials. He's fun. He's fun. He is a fun. He actually is a fun guy, and he's unique in in co- I almost said college football and college basketball because he is probably six four and two thirty five. He's a freaking truck, and they're a big. They're they're probably as big and strong width wise as I've ever seen a San Diego State team. They're good. They're, they're and, really and good. We, you know, we talked about this during the football season. There is something about programs that. Know they're going to win, and that's the attitude they have. We're going to win. Super Most of the time, we are going to win. When when UNLV goes down there, I think it's on uh, it's Super Bowl weekend. I think two twelve. Yep, they're walking into a building where if San Diego State leads at the half, you know what their record is recently when they lead at the half at that building one forty two and nine. Wow. And they had the that last five minute streak going for a long time too. I think that was 161 games. I think it was like 2010 to 2016. I think they won 160 straight where when they led with five minutes left. Closers. I mean, what does that say, right? How do you explain that as a program? Different teams you're facing, different rosters. Their roster's different. It's crazy. Coffee's for closers. That all said, it's not hopeless. You know, he's not completely healthy right now. No. And uh, I think they're going to go through a little dip here where it may look kind of lousy. But if they get Elijah Parquet back, that's another body. It's an important body. Yeah, the point guard of the defense. And they have to get uh, Keyshawn Gilbert healthy and get his confidence back. And get him so he's not traveling all by himself like before the game, trying to get there and scramble to make it on time. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. I'm not 12 anymore. Uh-huh. You stick your fat face over this wall again and I'm going to beat the uh-huh. out of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, the savage was you, born. You want to know what the, what, the, what, what the saddest part is? He walked in his house away from a 15-year-old kid and we never heard from that guy again. That was literally, when I think back to that moment in my life, Everything changed. Uh-huh. Everything changed. That was like the day that I became the man of the house. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. 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 The voice of Dana White, who is in the news. That was a uh, previous interview where he was uh, talking about his past and 
Conflict. Conflict. It's a big part of some people's lives. And something went down over the weekend at a place you and I are very familiar with. Actually, we were just hanging out there during the summer. Sure. What's the name of the place? El Squid Row. Cabo? In Cabo. Fun bar. Multi-level bar. See why people love it so much. It's fantastic. Not a fancy place. No. Not at all. But I do I am aware from the past that it is his it's his favorite place. I could see that. Yeah. It's a good party spot. It is. So what exactly unfolded on uh, somewhat grainy video that uh, TMZ reported that well right now has Dana White in a lot of hot water, has his family with a lot of tumult. Does it? But you can build on that. Um, certainly puts ESPN and Disney in an interesting position. So what happened? What do we say? So he's at El Squid Row, which he, he he was on a little, it's a little VIP type area that's on the second floor above the main dance floor. Uh, he was up it's there. the front or the back? Uh, it's closer to the back. Okay, I'm trying to get my bearings. Yeah. It's like more middle, but clo- I would say closer back. Okay. Uh, and he's he's in there with his with his wife and a couple other people. It is New Year's Eve. They're down there partying. Um, at some point, they appear to be having words of some sort. She, uh, his wife, Anne, puts her hands over her face. He pulls her wrist away from her face, and as he does so, uh, kind of pulls her closer to him. She responds by slapping him in the face. He then slaps her back, and then. F- appears to kind of lunge back to slap her again when several people from their group stepped in front of them. And that was pretty much the end of the interview. He said uh, that's the entire incident. Nothing else happened. Uh, she put out a statement that said completely out of character. It's never happened. Nothing Nothing we've ever experienced before. Uh, they said that they have showed the tape to their children, and that's the only people's opinion they care about, themselves and their children, and they have talked about it as a family. And um, a situation where... Too much alcohol was involved, and he said that he didn't really remember that it happened until he saw the video. There's never, ever an excuse for a guy to put his hands on a woman, and now here I am on on TMZ talking about it. Okay, so that was Dana White speaking to TMZ about the incident, and he said that a million times. I don't think UFC has always been super consistent with their policies with fighters and incidents. No. Big earners get a little more grace. Sure. And he's the biggest earner. And nothing's ever been proven in a court of law with Conor McGregor, who seems to have a lot of allegations thrown his way with uh, relations with females. Teflon Conor? I'm actually asking you. I, nothing Nothing has come of any of them to this point, right? Uh, Well, he... Not that we know. There could be settlements that... You know, I mean, he no contest, I think, in okay. New York. Okay. That was the, it's the, the dolly bus. throwing incident yeah, the, into the, the bus? Dolly through the bus. Right. Um, I don't know what he pled in the Miami case, which was battery when he took a cell phone and broke it. Um, there's, I believe, pending cases in Ireland over a couple things. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's things going on, but nothing nothing definitive. Here's more Dana White to TMZ. My wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We've known each other since we were 12 years old. We've obviously been through some 
it together. We've got three kids. And, you know, this is one of those situations that's horrible. I'm embarrassed. Okay, there you go. He's embarrassed. All right, so what do you make of this from here? Well, it's a... We, I want to be careful I'm saying this. There's a lot other things that are in sports right now that are happening that are in the news, which I would say is probably beneficial for the UFC right now. Not that, of course, not that anybody's cheering for anything or anything like that, but it's coincidentally helps out. So are you suggesting ESPN and Disney may have to get to this down the road? No, I think that... The, or the road has I already been traveled. I think everyone's moved on. Really? Yeah, they've moved on to to other things that are happening right now. So I don't know how they would handle it. I don't know what they would do. I don't know if social media pressure is going to get to them at some point. I'm sure they're not thrilled that the video is out there. Um, but they are in a weird spot with the deal that they have and everything that's kind of you know involved in their business relationship. Um, I don't know how they would handle it. I don't know how Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC, will choose to handle it, if at all. Um, right now, we have videos out. Dana issuing his you know, apology and embarrassment. And as far as I know, it's the end of the story for them. Do you think there will be any loud voices amongst fighters? <laughs> Do you think there will be any loud voices? Former fighters? Any loud voices in the sports media? I know Dan Lebertard spoke about it. Will there be any loud voices amongst male or female investors in Endeavor and the UFC? I mean, that's that's where things could change and things could get interesting if those things start to happen. But I think you've seen no UFC fighters current speak up. I'm, I'm sure that they're not going to. Uh, former fighters I've seen have said them some things today for sure. Uh, but what platform do they really have? What, what do they say? Just you know, the double standard and Dana can do whatever he wants and he gets away with everything and all those, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and that's fairly true. I mean, that's, that's how it probably is going to go. Unfortunately. Now the wild part of this whole thing is, can you imagine if this, this video existed of Roger Goodell or Adam Silver or an owner in another sport? It would be a completely different situation. So as we've said over the years, UFC's coverage has gone up a lot, but it still benefits from being kind of on the periphery. It has well, its spotlight moments throughout the year, but something like this, it's not covered like the NFL. It's not covered like the NBA. Well, no, and they've they've made it so, you know, basically everything goes through ESPN in terms of their coverage, and they, it's more difficult for any other outlet to actually cover them or do anything. And if ESPN has a business relationship, I mean, they wrote a story. Credit to them. They wrote a story. It's I saw a there. lot of people reacting to uh, Brett Okamoto's story saying, where's your opinion? <laughs> it's not his job. Explain uh, that. Well, he's a he's a writer. If he, I, I thought I thought Brett wrote it or Mark did. I thought Ramondi wrote the story. I, I'm not I'm not certain. So I'm, I, I won't say, but usually Ramondi writes and Brett does a lot of the uh you know the the TV feature stuff, but um he's not a columnist. I'm curious to see if any of the very outspoken male or female staffers at ESPN in general will speak to this. I mean, it's fascinating. It's it's really, but again, or would it? Because you, you, in the last couple of minutes of the show, we'll get into what Skip Bayless tweeted last night, which I think a lot of people misunderstood. 
But I did see a good number of Fox people, uh, whether they had the guts to actually mention his name or not, because a lot subtweeted about it, which I think is weak. But there were a lot of Fox sports people who went after Skip Bayless. Yeah. But but ESPN people who, rightly so, have spoken up on really important issues like abuse of women. I don't see them all remaining quiet on this one. And I, and I think a lot of it's the same thing. Right now, there's a, there's a massive topic. You know, is DeMar Hamlin going to make it to the next couple of days? So it's like, I, I guess not right time or right place. But I, I can't imagine everyone being quiet about this. And again, I don't, I don't really have an opinion of it. What I saw on video, these are incredibly difficult situations to diagnose. I wasn't comfortable with what I saw. No. I'd like a lot more details, but there are other people who do not require details. They will go right after. If they see a male hit a female, they're going to go right after him. Yeah. So this, to me, you, you say it, it might be done. I don't think it's done. Now, I'm not predicting Dana White is gone from the USC by the end of the week, but I think there's going to be other people speaking on this. This will get loud. I would think so, but I, like I said, I think timing timing really, really helped the UFC in this case. Wednesdays, it's the Kevin Kruger Radio Show at 5 p.m. on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, I don't gloat about sports very often. I don't really have that many teams that I really root for that I care about. Um, but I care about a couple. And, uh, yeah, last night I really wanted to send out what a great night. But obviously with what happened with the Buffalo Bills player, I wasn't going to do that. Man, I really enjoyed some college basketball last night. I really did. I wish I could could have watched some. I mean, I know which game you were enjoying. What'd you want to watch? So I wish I could have watched college basketball instead of focusing on what was yeah. going on. Um, well, I was focused on what happened with Demar Hamlin and and kind of tracking that thing, and then I finally got to watch college basketball with uh, Rutgers and Purdue, number one Purdue. I think I started that at like eleven thirty at night. And just sitting there by myself. And I actually knew the outcome, but I didn't know how it happened. That was fun. It's, I mean, it's it's early. Still uh, still January. Don't get too excited. Still Look January. Up. Don't get too excited. Well, I saw someone write a, a big piece today on the rankings and just how they're, they're really antiquated. And most of the voters in the AP Top 25 kind of go formulaic. And they don't really look at quality schedule. They don't really pay attention enough week to week. So... Purdue was good. Yeah. Purdue was good, but they're uh, very young at guard. They have two freshman guards, and, you know, they went up against a team that has big old guys, and they kind of got brutalized at times. And then the other one, the other fascinating watch in college basketball is Zach Eady. I think will be an NBA player off the bench, but as a college player, he's nine, impossible. Nine I think we've had this tall. discussion before. He is impossible to officiate. Yeah. He's seven foot four and 300 pounds, so everything he does is contact. You're either hitting him or he's hitting you. And one thing that got me coming in, they kept showing this graphic coming in, and I'm like, this is where, like, I don't complain about officials often, but this is where there's got to be some judgment going into a game where officials are like, hey, you know, he's gigantic. Let's officiate a little bit differently. They were 13-0 and coming in. He had 26 blocks, block shots coming in. 21 fouls in 13 games. That's not possible. He's seven foot four, 300 pounds. 
He was averaging less than two fouls a game? Well, it's, it's the and then last night, he got into a little foul trouble at the beginning of the third because there was another big and there, there was some contact. And, like, hey, you know what? You got to call some of the fouls. Well, there's a, there's a trade off, too, because I think, to your point, you just have to decide. Well, first of all, I don't think he, he's not aggressive in going for blocks anymore. I think he's just learned to just stand there right. for the most part and right. affect shots instead of trying to block shots all the time. But, I, like, he literally, in games that I've watched, gets fouled. 200 times? Oh, it's almost every play. Yeah. He's so, going to force contact and he's going to get con- like there, there was a picture I saw after the game and there were four they had they had him quadruple teamed. Just three guys with their hands up and another one swiping at the ball. And um I, I didn't see fouls drawn. He probably he probably drew 12 or 13 cuz he's just he's just so massive. But he probably actually drew far more than that and you can't if you're not going to call it every time then you can't call it on him either. Right. You just have to decide. Like you're not. Now I don't like that. I think you should call every yeah. foul. And in every game that they play, every every opponent would have nine guys fouled out of the game. Yes. And then it's not fun anymore. So I guess that's the, what they're deciding. But I would tell you, um, they're not the best team in the country, and uh, I don't think they're going to make a long run. I don't think one giant big and freshman guards are the combination that makes it through the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but that's what the early part of the season is for. And then when you get in conference play, you you know you go up against a lot a lot of teams that have you know depth and size, and they know you. You know the game planning is more familiar, so we'll see how they get through it. Big Ten's crazy though. Yeah, I still, it's very it's very balanced. I don't know that there's um, you know some team that's going to win whatever they play twenty games. That's going to go. No one's going seventeen and three. My guess is the champ will be like fourteen and six. How many games do you think Georgetown would win in the Big Big Ten? Boy, that, that's another case where it didn't work out, did it? Oh. Let's bring back the hero of the past. Of course and, he can coach. And you can't get rid of him? You just can't you just can't do that to, to him? There's some bad programs. What a situation. There's some it's, bad programs. For I mean, we're, we're referencing it here. I, it's close to two years in, on a calendar at this point since they've won a conference game. It's like 800 days or, some, or 700 the, days. Or the new Big East is good. It ain't that good. No. They should, they should have won at some point a game. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So the uh, the tweet that got everyone going last night from Skip Bayless, I still don't understand what happened. He tweeted out as they were deciding what was going on with the Bills and Bengals game. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. Which suddenly seems so irrelevant. So, so as I read that, I think it's pretty easy to understand. I think you have to put the accent on certain parts of the yeah. sentence, and you have to read the whole thing through. There was such anger over this tweet, which got like 125 million views. I thought there were so many media people who completely embarrassed themselves. What did a, you What did you read? It's a lack of comprehension, and and and, and I get it because it's emotional, but. What he, he, I think people are saying he's he's like, how could you possibly cancel this game? That's what he meant. He meant, how are you going to cancel it? What are you going to do in terms of the outcome of the games? And again, he said in the other tweet, I'm not saying this. This is by far the least important part of this, but it's our, mm-hmm. it's things that are have, going to have to be considered, and they will be. And like t- the fact that people are trying to pretend like that's not a thing. Is is crazy. Of course, it's not the most important thing. It's like twelfth on the list of important things, but it is a thing. And this is a show that never talks about Skip Bayless. I understand what he does. 
I don't think it's very topic worthy, but he's great at doing it. Like we don't particularly love Skip Bayless, but on that tweet, I'll defend him. I think uh, I think a lot of people out there, most embarrassingly, media, you got way too emotional over this tweet. Dial it down.